We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to Rediscovery, a new series of dwarf casts by Ganymede and Titan. And it's called Rediscovery because we're rediscovering the Red Dwarf DVDs, which are discs. I remember when that was the uh, placeholder name and we'd come up with a better one later. <laughs> it's always the way. <laughs> it's good. It's fine. It's, it it um, does the job. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me are Danny Stevenson. Hello. And Jonathan Capps. Hello. And the reason we are gathered here today on this very special occasion is because 20 years ago to this very day that this podcast is released, providing we edit it on time. I will. It was the release of Red Dwarf Series 1 on DVD on the 4th of November 2002. Which, yeah. It was 20 years ago. Discussed. This is another episode of You're Old. <laughs> You're listening to You're Old from Gambit. <laughs> 20 years, man. I mean, it's it's crazy. We've basically seen an entire cycle of media mm. with with this sort of run of, yeah. of DVDs. The DVD releases quite nicely track... Um, against our friendships <laughs> they, they are yeah. like the dvd releases are as old as our <laughs> as us knowing each other yeah it's all Pretty so much. closely tied together god yeah. and they yeah gnt launched in september of tw- 2002 largely because of the dvds sort of no the knowledge that they were coming out uh and the excitement building up around them as well encouraged me to kind of yeah dust off the idea and actually get it running for once. Because you knew there was going to be things happening, right? Because this wasn't just yeah. um, one series and let's see what happens. Like we had been told that the whole plan... We knew it was going to yeah. be the whole lot. Yeah. And that also, at the time, um, that these would just be something to keep us going while uh, they were working on the movie, because the movie would be out yeah. before they finished releasing Series 8 on DVD <laughs> shortly. So. We well. actually believed it as well. Yeah, uh, genuinely. So yeah, it's very much a product of a different time, <laughs> in all ways. Many ways. Many ways. This is a product not typical of its time as well, because a lot of the BBC stuff that were getting churned out was pretty vanilla crap. Yeah, like about as basic yeah. as you can get. You know, it was just like you, you've just got the. It was the plain, you know, the sort yeah, of yeah boilerplate um, graphics. Yeah, boilerplate graphics, graphics on white background. And then yeah. minimal thing episodes, all the other episodes done. No, I think so. Yeah. This was this was a rarity. The two um, extras listed on the back of a standard BBC comedy DVD at the time were scene selection and uh, animated menus. Oh yeah. Let's be fair. Also subtitles. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that special feature. <laughs> it seems like at the time that Red Dwarf was slightly late to the DVD party that they hadn't just gone and, and leapt on it and did it straight away to the extent where it, the lack of Red Dwarf on DVD was referenced in Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> still crazy to me yeah. <laughs> just, so, someone had claimed to have watched every episode of Doctor Who which is impossible on DVD as well yeah. in 2001 or whenever it was <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was Jonathan only, only one of the uh, three yeah. murderous nerds 
from the most <laughs> depressing season of Buffy. Wait, you are Jonathan and one of these three uh, murderous nerds. Yeah, it might not be Jonathan. I think it was Andrew, actually, now that I think about it. Before I get letters from our <laughs> five <laughs> listeners. Uh, yeah, and it was a case that they wanted to do it right mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. bashing them out. And we had no complaints or very few complaints um, when these came out. Well, it came out of the blue. So like, I, I want to, like, something that's stuck very clearly in my head is the announcement of these. Because I, was, I, I don't think I've been as excited about an announcement of something since, maybe. Or like, I've come close, but like this was huge. Because for context at the time, for a start, we had the pretty poor track record of BBC releases. Like the young ones had had a horrific release with cut down versions of the episodes. Yeah, they hadn't even thought about what they were putting on the disc. I think Blackadder had had a pretty slapdash release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only Father Ted really had had something, some some sort of effort put into it that had commentaries at least, but there still wasn't a huge amount going on. And we also thought that remastered had replaced the first three series. Like we we genuinely yeah. had that fear. Like we were, we were looking at a situation where our VHS copies of series one, two, and three were going to be it, and the announcement that these DVDs were going to happen, when everyone was excited about DVDs and what they could bring, that they were going to have all of this ambitious content, and they were all going to be the originals, was like it's hard to overstate how significant that was to a certain mm. type of fan at the time. Yeah, like a mission statement. Oh God! Basically, yeah, of yeah. like, yeah, don't worry, the remastered is there; <laughs> yeah. it still exists, but we're not replacing it because at the time, every repeat was remastered of the first three series, and whenever there were clips of Red Dwarf shown in anything, in any clip shows or whatever, it was always remastered. Every representative of GMP from the time will swear blind that remastered was never meant to replace series one <laughs> to three, even if it wasn't meant to. It was. It was replacing it, like. Even if they they have no control over what UK TV G two uh, crowd um, were yeah. um, were doing, and they were deciding to play the remastered version. In fact, they still love the remastered Maroon so much that it still hasn't died. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a real, it was a very very real concern. Like clip shows were using it; it was everywhere, and it was only a few years ago as well. Yeah, that's that's another mark of you are old. Is how <laughs> <laughs> close like the first DVD came out three years after series eight. Yeah, uh, even though it like it feels like it was this huge retrospective thing because it was you know fourteen years after series one. <laughs> Red Dwarf was fourteen years old when this came out, and we're just about to start celebrating. Give, the give it a few months, we would be the same distance from the promised land as the first series DVD release was from series eight. Jeez. Because right. Promised Land was three years ago in April, so mm. yeah, it's it was it was close, and it was like Red Dwarf was in this weird place. Like we were, it was almost like we were sat there waiting patiently for Red Dwarf to become a world smash. Like yeah. to release this film, everyone's gonna know about it. We're all gonna fucking go to the cinema and watch it. It was gonna be brilliant. Um, and then the DVDs, it was like it was a lot of optimism about the show that did not last. Between yeah. the first and last DVD release, no, which was only four years apart yeah. again. Yeah. But oh, yeah. during that time, yeah, all hope of the movie died, and uh, and Red Dwarf seemed dead as a as a franchise. Yeah. I remember the uh, the other DVD that kind of had any sort of comparison to be made would be uh, League of Gentlemen, which was mm-hmm. also like the only other mm-hmm. the BBC 
franchise that actually had some effort put into it. Yep. But that was a relatively recent production in terms of, you know, from, from making to releasing. So all that stuff yeah. was in hand, so it was easy to do. Yep. But Red Dwarf, they had to dig through the archives. Well, God bless Andrew Ellard for doing such a thing, because it was just a... I can't imagine how much of a massive undertaking that was. I think both of them have the two things in common. Like league, A league um, had the league, who were clearly very interested and invested in doing good DVD stuff. Mm. Presumably, you know, it was just something they were interested in. They liked the idea of it. Um, And Red Dwarf had Andrew Ellard, who was like fresh into the company really like he he's you know been given the the room to do what he thinks would be a good dvd release incredibly passionate incredibly knowledgeable um and then the other tie is producer ross mcginley dvd yeah. producer ross mcginley who's who's the common tie there um we've got some funny stories about ross for series three but like you can't deny that obviously he's a big part of that kind of making sure that Red Dwarf got the DVD releases that it deserved and getting yeah. it working, you know, in what is clearly difficult circumstances. Because when you look back at Series 1, and we'll get into this more, it's cl- it's clearly by the seat of your pants sort of stuff cobbled together in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, but they yeah. did it, and it was it felt so worthwhile. It felt so good to have yeah. even what we got, you know, at the time. This was the first DVD I ever bought, and it was before I even bought a DVD player. Yeah, yeah I, had <laughs> I don't think I had anything that could play a DVD at all in my house until I bought that first. That's how much I needed this thing to exist in my house. <laughs> it was just lovely to hold. I just remember the, the, the idea of just being able to pause a digital medium and it not have the static oh, and yeah. the noise of VHS yeah, yeah. and it was just like the yeah, fact yeah. it was like crystal clear I was like oh this is so good at the time I was I was becoming such a digital nerd like digital TV had launched and I think maybe a year after this I got like my first PVR like I got like a 250 quid top field it was like absolute best thing you could get and I was just like recording off DAB and recording off digital TV it was like just incredible like <laughs> the clarity clarity of speech clarity of speech <laughs> I just remember thinking it was some sort of magic yeah that, like I know I now understand but previously I could understand how tapes worked because you could see like the picture was on the thing yeah. that moved you, you make it around you just think fashion. it's like film it's like film yeah. but magnetic whatever yeah but whereas this uh, yeah I put the first DVD I got was for some reason men behaving badly series four. I don't <laughs> know why series four. I mean, starting strong. My first DVD was Father Ted series two, uh, part two. <laughs> <laughs> that's somehow worse. I don't know why. That's that's... Oh, that's sending my brain. But yeah, I wild. just remember looking at it and thinking, well, how does this become video then? <laughs> like, just... and being a- being able to instantly go to any part of it by selecting something on a menu and like a not having to game. rewind it when you were finished and all the rest of it it was just as well as the massive jumping quality from VHS to DVD yeah yeah and incredible. chapters just chapters were like a whole thing yeah. where like you can skip to a section of the episode without having to actually oh, like, be good at it and know what you're doing it's like you just just flick through it it's crazy what the I think maybe I can count the amount of times I've used chapters on one hand <laughs> Ever <laughs> with anything, and Red Dwarf just because I was probably reviewing a DVD at some point and needed them for that. But it's nice to have. Yeah, nice to have. Don't actually use it. There's a few um, sort of 
music DVDs that I've got where you might do oh, that, yeah, which is yeah. essentially like skipping tracks if it's yeah. like a, a live DVD or a collection of music videos. But yeah, I miss physical media being such an important thing to me. <laughs> like now, I've I've reached the stage of life where I am more concerned about space and practical storage than I am about the joy but just like getting this DVD out for the first time in ages because if I've needed to refer to anything on the DVD for the purposes of an article or a podcast then I've just either looked at ripped copies of the extras or gone onto YouTube and found them and and stuff like that. It's been such a long time since I've actually bothered to get the disc out and put it in a DVD player and it felt so good and so reassuring and like, yeah, a nostalgic feeling now of seeing the copyright notice come up in the BBC logo. Yeah, the shape of a DVD case, like a standard DVD case being like sort of wider and more rectangular it's exactly the same dual case that you had with pc games at the time as well so mm. it's something it's a form factor that is very dear to my heart because of that like it is something that contains exciting things like some of yeah. the best things in the world at the time you know like dvds and games was my entire life but yeah back then <laughs> tv <laughs> and games is all i did um I know, I know what you mean. Like, I'm, I've long since got way too lazy to look after my physical collection. It's all in boxes, and I'm 100% stream. And has been since first moved in yeah, <laughs> with me yeah. in 2009. Look, between you and Joe, there were a lot of DVDs. No yeah. one needed my DVD collection to come out of the boxes. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it's one of those things like that just is a sort of progress like you can still make your own physical copies of things i guess is kind of the the saving grace but back then there was scarcity right and this is the one thing that i can allow myself to be a bit of an old man about is that the big difference between then and now is scarcity and red dwarf series one i guess has always been like the epitome of of scarcity for a red dwarf fan like going back to when robin doug just didn't want it repeated and then eventually got released on vhs like that must have been a big moment and i almost felt like series one was starting to it almost like it was starting to rot it was only on vhs's red dwarf was starting to rot away and this is the preservation project like it's not just a a release of dvds it's clean up it's digitizing of everything Mm. it's it's organizing things it's digging up old rushes that you know would actually later be like generally just lost but whatever it was kind of like this is this is red dwarf's legacy yeah and that felt so important so danny you got it before you actually had a dvd player mm. um what are your memories of actually picking this up capsi me well a lot of people pointed us to the jersey-based online media <laughs> store play.com play.com gold bless it God bless it. And no one knew really what to expect, but I think there was a few people, probably Simon Bromley, who had ordered from them before and under whispered breath had claimed that their DVDs had arrived before their release date. Precisely two days. Precisely two. Saturday instead of the Monday. So I think this was, um, whilst I wasn't on the web board, but I think there was a general kind of feeling amongst people on the official web board, God rest it, that... Ordering on play.com is what you should do. So I took that risk. I was also going to go to Woolworths first thing Monday morning if I had to. But then Saturday morning, Saturday the 2nd, I guess, it arrived. It was two days earlier. And I've honestly, 
I don't think I have felt as much joy since then, apart from the birth of my son. Because honestly, it was like I had been waiting. Like we had, we had been waiting months. Actually, like the, it was announced a good few months before. We'd been building up to this moment. I would say it was approximately the 19th of April 20. Uh, <laughs> right. That's a long time. That's a long time. Um, it's and, a good yeah. and then suddenly I had it in my hand. And the DVD. Yeah, well, <laughs> lad in his hand. Um, I remember talking to my friend Julian, who is a um, previous collaborator on this Dwarfcast. Um, and I remember saying to him, they've got an original trailer on there. And he genuinely said, I, to be honest, I can't understand why you're excited about a trailer, <laughs> and I couldn't really describe it. But like, I, I was like, this is a connect. Like now, I can maybe understand it. Like, this is a connection to the very, very beginning of the show. Like before the show mm. had ever been broadcast, this trailer is like day zero. Like, yeah, and it was so simple, and it's just not accessible, just not easy to get hold of. Mm. And the fact that they dug up an old trailer showed how deep they were digging mm. and so getting the disc and just really not knowing what the fuck to put on first like <laughs> yeah what do you do i think it was lord Red dwarf i did put on first but like yeah but get yeah honestly getting that dvd two days early so exciting and then most of the dvds after that play.com delivered exactly the same way Saturday. Yeah. yeah i do remember that i think after because i think i did go to Woolworths to get my series one dvd because because at, at the time my mum was there so i, so I could get oh stuff discount fuck yeah man yeah <laughs> yeah so it was a it was definitely sort of a no-brainer that like Woolworths would be getting my money but then i think Woolworths died not not, not long after that well to be fair yeah. <laughs> everything's gone years. play.com mm. gone Woolworths gone well yeah. play.com play. <laughs> was free delivery as well like, oh my god! Yeah, I used to. They I were a little bit cheaper. Usually a couple of quid cheaper mm. because uh, they were based in Jersey and didn't pay tax. Yeah, they didn't pay tax, but rather than <laughs> not paying tax and using that money for them, they they made themselves incredibly attractive. A bit like how Amazon does by undercutting mm. everyone. So it was a yeah. decent business model, but obviously not not very sustainable. It's not moral, <laughs> but uh, yeah. not necessarily. But you know, we all buy things off Amazon, don't we? So I knew about the potential play.com hack but (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't I at the time I was 16 I'd just started college and just got a part time job working on the checkouts at Safeway for significantly less than minimum wage because I was under 18 and so I didn't have a spare 20 quid in case it didn't arrive on time and so I could not bring myself to take the risk of not having it on the day mm-hmm. so I didn't order from play.com That's I just fair. waited yeah. I waited until the Monday, got myself up early <laughs> I well 10 o'clock, first thing I did was phone in sick to college because already at that stage I knew what was the most important thing in my life <laughs> DVDs. got up, walked down to Woolworths and was there before it opened waiting outside the door in fact, I got myself a Greg's on the way because I was so early, and Greg's was like three <laughs> three shops down from Woolworths. Amazing. So I got myself a Greg's, ate my pasty on the way home from Woolworths, so I didn't waste any time <laughs> when I got home. <laughs> Went straight upstairs. <laughs> Commentaries first for me. Basically worked my way through in order, disc one. <laughs> That's yeah. very restrained. In fact, I seem to remember that I 
I actually watched a couple of episodes without the commentary first, just to get an idea of like the technical improvement. Mm-hmm. Then all the commentaries, then all the extras. Yeah. And somehow, between Woolworth opening at 9 o'clock and the internet becoming free to use at 6 o'clock, because <laughs> <laughs> we were on dial-up at the time. Shit! Between those hours, I managed to not only watch everything, but also write a review and format it and have it ready to upload. <laughs> Bang on 6 o'clock. Amazing. Link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. fucking hell, yeah. But I remember when the first announcement came up for what was going to be on it, they were saying, you know, like they were saying two discs per series. Two discs per series was oh, per series. You were lucky if you got two oh, discs for the entire run of the fucking felt show. Opulent, didn't it? Oh, like, man, it was ridiculous. Drowning in luxury. We are so lucky to get this level of detail in something because, you know, as we'll, 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 we'll see in the documentary, the thing is, it's always been seen as a sort of like a, a sort of an outlier of a show. So to have this level of. Focus and this level of scrutiny and the and you know having everything and the music cues the isolated music cues I can't believe that they even like like they bothered to put them all on they put everything in there every series had the isolated music cues and I was just like this well, is like that was my favorite thing I think that was probably the first thing I headed towards when I your when clue I <laughs> your clue with that one is on the front of the the DVD cover which says over ninety minutes of deleted scenes outtakes in, interviews and extras so they were clearly wanting to get the number up to like but that also fed into let's just stick everything on and that obviously appeals directly to the music nerd the sfx nerds the delete the, the yeah. deleted scenes nerds are everyone who is all the above um so yeah it was although to be fair they could have put um four and a half hours of bonus material because they'd never count the commentaries and they are that's three that's hours that, that would that's be not, well yeah, yeah it is yeah um yeah it's a funny that's a funny one maybe they do start to do that because i do distinctly remember oh no it's it's more that they they say 120 minutes later don't they but that's yeah. mainly because the the documentary's got big yeah the documentary's um, got proper. i mean now I mean, I've always had this thing of quite, as I assume most people have, of like in my memory, series one and two are kind of like the poor relations of the DVD franchise because uh, they were every pair of releases improved on what came before right the way through, every single time without a shadow of a doubt. To the extent that when Body Snatcher was released, it was kind of like a correction of series one and two and so they did the feature length proper documentaries that these ones didn't have but sort of transporting yourself back to 2002 Mm -hmm. the 4th of november we weren't disappointed at all by like in and of themselves they were fantastic like we didn't know how good the dvds would later become but if this was the standard throughout, we'd still be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than happy. The only reason that one and two look poorer by comparison is because Andrew and everyone were just pushing it endlessly right until the end, up to the up to the crescendo that is the Body Snatcher collection. Yeah, past the end. Yeah, of, of the DVD range, and and that really can't be understated. Like like Grano Productions. Today and we are to assume twenty years ago, it's a fucking mess. <laughs> we can only assume. We can only assume, and it it was, but it is fairly clear from the fact that it was it was Andrew pushing all the communication, doing all the updates. He was the one, like from his own stories, scouring through rushes. Um, yeah. If you skip forward to Body Snatcher, he wrote 
he wrote all the fucking edit notes like in in, in a subtitle track for everything yeah. Like he was, he was the man that, through a force of will, made these happen. Uh, you can, it's very clear, and um, we, you know, we're very lucky to to have that that level of nerd uh, in our corner for <laughs> for this. Where, when when yeah, DVD as an art form was still finding its feet, and this is genuinely one of the like one of the standout DVD releases worldwide for anything at the time, mm-hmm. especially for. A sitcom, yes, yeah. uh, especially for a sitcom, especially for a UK sitcom. Of. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are shows with much bigger budgets and much bigger viewing figures yeah. and much higher reputations that aren't a patch on this. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you know you've got to give a lot of credit to BBC Worldwide. Obviously, like Ross McGinley was the BBC Worldwide side, and who would later be to entertain. Like they clearly had a uh, had a desire to make a name for themselves with quality dvd releases and it would extend to other shows you know later on and there would become a, a bog like a bare minimum right like this would almost set a watermark yeah. um the level of this series one dvd is a fairly low watermark in the grand scheme of what happened over the next 10 years but it, you know a rising tide raises all ships and that can't be overstated either no, it's true, and and like we got you know, and also the actual menus themselves, even though they became sort of a bit more of a a pain in the ass. <laughs> they were a bit of a pain in the ass because they <laughs> they take up, but but the, the fact that they were new and different yeah. and novel, they were enough yeah. to kind of get you into like you know the the shot of the the into the DVD where it goes across the side of the ship, which I think was a model shot that nobody had really seen before. Mm. And then you go into the so even before you've even seen the, the actual menus, you're seeing something brand new you've never seen before. And then you go into the ship and then the airlock yeah. release and you go into the drive room and like a yeah. near perfect recreation in 3D and you know and then it's just like and then it's all kind of branching and again that was something I never really understood. Like how the hell do you branch from one animation to another? How on earth do you do that with a DVD? I don't get it. Um but yeah it like hats off to Deluxe Digital were they the guys involved with this Deluxe one? Digital, yeah. Yeah. So like hats off to them for uh for, for the for the and again, incredible. watching it now for the first time in many, many years, because on you know, on the occasions when I did put a disc in, I just skipped the menus <laughs> like as soon as you could because they're like, Oh yeah, they're great, but I've seen them now. You know, I wanna I wanna crack on. Yeah. And yeah, normally I'd use just the shows or the all the shows box set because they had static menus that yes. were just there straight away. Yeah. But watching them back now and deliberately sort of enjoying them on the big screen, it was yeah, huge wave of nostalgic affection. Yeah. I just remember them. being yeah. so excited by, you know, like the just the series one little can that comes up and, you know, it just all felt yeah. kind of fresh <laughs> and new and different. And I was just like, Oh, what is this thing? This is all brilliant. They were just pushing every aspect of of what a DVD could be like to its to its limit based on their budget, but also like it was going way beyond like those menus like like not nothing it, no UK DVD release had anything close to those menus like when yeah. when when these first two series came out in this first wave, um, and they were just put like even though now like you you wouldn't be asked for that like a a Blu-ray these days gives you a looping background nice clean menu and you're straight in yeah and yeah. that's that's what's been settled on but you know in order for that to happen you kind of have to push it too far the other way right and yeah uh, <laughs> and it's just like yeah th- like if if i was to go back in time and make one decision i would i would maybe ask them to pair pair down the money spent on the the menus 
and and try to funnel that into something else. I'm not sure what I'd funnel it into, to be honest. Yeah. But um, something else, maybe expanding the documentary or something. But um, but that's doesn't really matter. But also, it was fairly efficient because those menus worked across two releases yeah. with tweaks, uh, you know, different props and yeah. different sound bites, etc. So. Mm. Well, that's another. That's definitely. If we're talking about the DVD releases in general, that's that's another incredibly astute decision was to to produce these in blocks of two, mm. um, each block of two, and you can imagine what those blocks of two are <laughs> if you're not aware. Um, shared menus, apart from details, um, and kind of shared a, a, a general sort of structure to them. Um, yeah. to, to presumably keep costs down and or to, to certainly help with costs and it worked great mm-hmm. worked really good um, then by the time they got to 5 and 6 they couldn't really use that structure could they <laughs> well, we'll come to that yeah we will, we will, plenty of time for we'll that come to that <laughs> so what we've uh, gathered today to do is we want to basically make sure that we're celebrating these DVDs, the releases and the contents therein. Uh, So for each series, we've picked one extra that we're going to commentate on for your delight. And as you're probably already aware, because you've read the description, uh, today we're going to commentate on launching Red Dwarf. Oh, shit, I thought we were doing drunk. (laughs) Uh, no, you're doing it, right? <laughs> We're watching Launching Red Dwarf. <laughs> Which is, yeah, perhaps the only plausible choice from this um, <laughs> from this particular release, but we'll come to that. So we, what we're going to do, we're going to commentate on that for you now, and then after that we're going to have a general chat about the rest of the extras, and then probably have a cup of tea and go home. Uh, so, if you would care to... And, and for this, I think you need to line up your dvd i think we should all it should be upon all our uh, listeners slash readers to actually bother to get the physical dvd out because it's worth it yeah we're not um, by the way but you should yeah alternatively <laughs> if you want to because this this doesn't have subtitles i had to make them so if you want to watch it with subtitles we yeah. have subtitles and we'll release get, them get your own rip and then uh, yeah we'll put the subtitles yeah. for you we'll put yeah. subtitles up in the show notes yeah but anyway, line up your copy of Launching Red Dwarf now and press play at the end of these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv There we go. It's a bit loud. Those little stings. That was a... Um, it lasted throughout yeah. starting yeah. those lovely consistency uh, very yeah. clean little title screens yeah so lovely. this is very cobbled isn't it it is there are two different chris berries yeah. two different craig charleses there are two different times of talking to doug where he's wearing glasses and when he's not yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> A bit that seems like it's yeah cobbled in last minute to correct something that someone else said. Yeah, probably. Is... Yeah, and now that we know how he uh, how he rolls with that. Mm. So this one, <laughs> this one of Craig, where he's wearing the glasses, is the is the new shoot. Yeah. 
but the other interviews are taken from the sessions of Red Dwarf A to Z, as is this uh, yeah. Paul Jackson, <clears throat> as we see now. Talking about something that is very rarely spoken about, that Rob and Doug had this other sitcom that they'd written. Yeah, a Lance Blood News. That yeah. never got used. Yeah. And, yeah, it's and like <laughs> Paul Jackson says, be- I mean, it was shit, but... <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to find like any other mention of it, and it's never mentioned outside of this um, outside of the documentary. I can't find anything about it. So we need to learn more about it because obviously I've seen this documentary a lot. Yeah. Because for the first <laughs> between November and February, <laughs> it was the main extra, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then series two got released, and then the rest of it, etc. But for a while there, I just watched this loads. Um. So I remembered it, but. It's like, oh yeah, we never, we never learn any more about that. No, because yeah. the the story's always like they were going to pick something from cliche and th- this yeah. Lance Blood Newshound or whatever. Well, it's whatever. not a sort of cliche. Lance yeah. something Newshound. Um, oh, I, I need to say it is astonishing how quickly Paul Jackson speaks. Oh, <laughs> uh, mate, I, I had to do the subtitles, and my fucking jealous that man speaks in a rate that has to be in words per second. Rather than sort of kind, kind hearted comments. Uh, <laughs> Whereas this guy, oh, Peter Woodsdale Scott, talks in the manner of uh, Rowley Birkin. Yes, he's a times. sober Rowley Birkin. <laughs> yes, yeah, he is. <laughs> it's. He mumbles a lot and goes quiet and then just punctuates it. Yeah, this documentary, actually, the sound levels are fucked in this documentary. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> this was early days. That is another thing that would improve over time on the DVD. So this interview was also A to Z, from the A to Z, right? But they, they used no, extended... I think Peter Isdale Scott was a new... Was a new I was going to say, because I remember, I remember seeing that man and thinking, I have no idea who you are, but you are yeah. obviously like incredibly relevant to this TV show. I'm incredibly grateful to Launching Red Dwarf yeah. as a as an entity yeah. for introducing us to Peter Isdale Scott, because... Absolutely. 100% unsung hero, because we always... like The stories are always... Paul Jackson had the script, Paul mm. Jackson was on board, and mm-hmm. he went to the BBC, and Robin Doug went to the BBC, Gareth Gwendolyn turned it down, and then eventually it was up in BBC Manchester, but... Peter Isdale Scott represents the opposite side of that. He's the BBC man, the company man who believed in Red Dwarf. Yeah. He fought for Red Dwarf. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here in the same way as if it wasn't for Paul, we wouldn't be here. The yeah. story's always like, look at these heroic creatives, these producers, these writers, these mm. directors, making sure something gets made. Whereas, yeah, like seeing Peter Ridsdale Scott's side, he, he is the suit, but he's obviously someone who took immense pride in his job. Yeah, he, he yeah. clearly had he clearly had faith in the project from yeah. the other side as well, which, yeah. is, which is obviously how it's going to work, if it's ever going to work. You need people fighting from both sides, otherwise you're not going. You're, going to, you're just hitting. You know. You're yeah, going to hit absolutely. Yeah. For every Gwenlin, there's a, a Ridsdale Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the story. We just skipped over the story from Paul about um, Red Dwarf basically being Happy Families too. Um, yeah. So Red Dwarf One is Happy Family Series Two. Red Dwarf Two is Happy Family Series Three, and so on. <laughs> there was never a Happy Family Series Ten. They went straight from nine to eleven. <laughs> And then there was Back to Happy Families, which was a whole... 
I love this story from Pierius Del Scott about reading it on the train and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'd only got as far as page two when I let out a laugh that could be heard at Carlisle. <laughs> but there is a misremembering I would say so, because the cat does not come somewhere. in this early. No, no, no. <laughs> he does. Right, right, so the script he read, I'm pretty sure we figured this out. The the script he read is the very original pilot which had this scene in it. But did it have it this early? Oh like, like Oh no no, no. he is... was reading sorry. The script he read was waiting for God or something. It wasn't the end that he was reading. Ah, it was, I it see. was another episode. Okay, fair enough. But how? Um, well, at this because point, they, they only had the they only had the pilot script. They hadn't been commissioned yet. They only wrote the rest of the scripts after they'd been commissioned. Is something in the omnibus about this? All right. Like when the cat, I, I, I I'm not sure, but when the cat comes in, he definitely has some lines from. Conference and paranoia, or why? Why do you not have these answers, Captain? I mean, you know, we, we do you. It's not as if <laughs> we are presenting ourselves as some sort of fan authority on the matter. Um, but no, I, I was. I've always been of the impression that his story kind of checks out quite quite yeah. well because that scene was in whatever the pilot was that was right, okay. around at the time. Um, okay, so it wasn't page two. Yeah. But... <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, oh, it's just yeah. it, 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 it's good storytelling, yeah, it, isn't it? Yeah, That's the thing; he's a good storyteller. He's an orator, isn't he? He's like he's he's the yeah. kindly granddad who's had a glass of whiskey <laughs> at Christmas and he's telling his stories. <laughs> gather round. If he was a bit more around. confident, it, if he was a bit more uh, eloquent, then it, not eloquent, a bit more clear in his speech, that would be a good after dinner party. Cloudy speech. Cloudy <laughs> Doug, Doug again comes in this thing where just like he 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 comes across like oh he just is a massive control freak. <laughs> yeah, he's such a control freak. I think you had three massive control freaks in yeah. Rob, Doug, and Paul. Yeah, <laughs> the... they're all kind of fighting their ah, own corner. This Craig interview is from the A to Z. Ah, uh, okay. He he looks a lot more smart. <laughs> it degraded a lot. This was the the height of uh, Naughty Friday. So we've just done. Or a couple of years before Naughty Friday, maybe like hadn't quite <laughs> naughtyed. Um, I so we this magazine episode that we just did, we just did this. Yes. He says that he, um, oh, it's mentioned there that he was making sure that Lister wasn't racist, wasn't he? No, in, in the story is always the, the cat, cat. Right, okay. mm-hmm. because they didn't have anyone in mind. For Lister, like any, right, okay, yeah. it was a colorblind casting yeah, for Lister. Yeah. Uh, this is Doug basically saying I hated Craig Charles yeah like <laughs> I I was flicking through and saw that he was doing politically conscious material I thought ah oh, fuck off what a cut <laughs> he was also not likeable as yeah. far as I was concerned but once he came in for uh, for auditions Doug didn't have a leg to stand on It's a good little breakdown of kind of the first. It's, it's tight, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it is. It really it's incredibly does. tight. Like it manages to cover everyone well, in twenty five minutes. It's the twenty minutes at the start of the bigger documentaries, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah later from series three onwards, the episodic documentaries had a big bit about general stuff at the start and yeah. then episode by episode. Yeah. yeah, this is like the ultimate intro. I mean, essentially, this is the first episode of uh, the first three million years 
Yeah, essentially. Talking about better. the genesis and how it got commissioned and getting the cast together, etc. in mm. early days. Yeah. I do like how Paul Jackson, even in what well, when this would have been ninety eight, um basically looks like the eighties guy from Futurama. <laughs> his his only regret is that he had bonitis. <laughs> Just him in with that hat in the background. <laughs> He's such an eighties. Oh, this is yuppie. Doug with glasses. Yeah, this yes, is, is Doug with this glasses. This is Doug show. has realised he has something to say. <laughs> and summoned the, Andrew into the green screen. The technical <clears throat> quality of, of the sort of camera work and editing improved over the years. Mm-hmm. Some of the framing in this is insane. I mean, does <laughs> sort of floating about there. And there's a bit later with Craig where the framing is like it's just like his forehead down, and, and his like the yeah. bottom of his mouth is just about in shot. He moves yeah. like it looks like the camera moves at one point, yeah. but and but the background doesn't because it's because it's. There's, there's also a cut off of the CSO like on the right hand side there as well, like the overscan. That is that is true of all the, the other commentaries though. That's a yeah. that's a thing that's on all of them. Yeah, they never got that. They never got that right ever. Well, you'd have been cutting this on a CRT, I would have thought. <laughs> Good bit of. Good Some good, there. Yeah, yeah, good use of um, of clips <clears throat> to kind of accentuate your points as well. That's kind of oh, well, this is uh, Mike. Uh, this is Mike Whiteburn, right? So this is this is a guy who's actually worked on the show proper. Mm, so he's yeah. got he's got his head around how it's going to work anyway. It's again, it's something that improved over time um, because at this stage they were using just clips from the episode as as uh, punctuation. Later on, they'd use clips from the rushes as punctuation, yeah. and like things yeah, that we'd never yeah. seen before yeah. as punctuation. Uh, is this is is this an A to Z interview as well? It is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah it this is. is what I mean. Weird, like they sort of... they really had to like like <laughs> the amount of budget they must have had. Like, well, you've got Chris, Craig, and Doug, and Doug is essentially free. So you've got yeah. Craig and Chris. That's the only people you can interview. And then fresh. they travelled to go and see Peter Ristolf. Travelled to Peter Ristolf. Yeah. But they obviously didn't have enough time with Chris and Craig to tell the whole story, so yeah. they still had to go back and yeah. use. It's weird, isn't it? It's old like, stuff of them. It must have been a nightmare. Like it, it must have been such a like, like let's just get this together. Yeah, it was. You can you can see in retrospect the budget <laughs> straining at mm. the seams, and it's just it's an attempt to get as much material in to tell as complete a story as possible. It's almost which a it proof of concept. Well. It's yeah. incredibly tight storytelling. Yeah, this whole release yeah. is a proof of concept. Like, this is what we can do. Can we have a little bit more money, please, Doug <laughs> or Charles, whoever? Yeah, had the first and probably not a huge amount. <laughs> yeah, um, the BBC worldwide. Fred baby. <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting that Molina was basically cast as well, wasn't he? Like, yeah, he was sort of basically greenlit, and then it was just yeah. like it didn't quite work out. It's sort of like the itself puts me in mind of like Eric Stoltz in uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, but so, yeah. someone who was originally yeah. greenlit went in, you know, started the whole process and went, oh, "This isn't the chemistry's not working. We can't quite do this." And then been, you know, come back to Chris, new Chris. As opposed to A to Z Chris. <laughs> it's a bit greyer. <laughs> <Chris. laughs> 
little bit trivia. <laughs> and he's wearing a tea towel, which was the style of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you just walk. You walked into fucking fat face. <laughs> <laughs> and got got a lumberjacked shirt and you were done didn't even have to wear trousers back then <laughs> try that today and they'll arrest you now Danny John Jules here mate right. you're, you're not, not going to feel the benefit <laughs> fucking hell I said that to Rosie last night when we were watching this no, the other, uh, night before I said you're not going to feel the benefit man what are you doing <laughs> A ridiculous choice. <laughs> I th- I'm pretty sure this is new and not A to Z. Because yeah. I don't remember him wearing that coat in the A to Z. <laughs> and he's got this little sort of uh, cornrows in yeah. his hair. Which I think he had for MI High. Yeah, it's very, oh, early. It's very, right. doing it it's very early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all of the, all of this stuff was just like brand new information to, to the majority of... like. There's some oh, stuff yeah. you glean from. If if you never had this magazine, you never read the interviews and stuff. There's some information in there that you would never have known about. So it's really cool to sort of have this, you know, this this sort of origin story of where this show came from. It's kind of crazy. It's like an oral history, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. He claims he wasn't half. He didn't know he was half an hour late. I guess, I, guess, yeah, I, can, I can believe it. Yeah, I can believe yeah, that. Yeah. I can believe that Danny didn't know he was half an hour late, but for him to go in, you know. <laughs> Well, he was probably just, uh, yeah, bumped into someone and chatted for them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> chatted yeah, yeah. To them. This is an oral history. It's a few new interviews and a collection of old interviews yeah. cobbled together to tell a story. Yeah. And do you know what I'm quite impressed about? Is that these do really quite match up very well with the interviews we're going through on this magazine. Yeah, they do. Mm. Yeah. As time has gone on yeah. and things are more past, the stories get a bit more exaggerated. But <laughs> we're relatively close to the to the source of these stories now. With actors, you've really got to have your bullshit detector on. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they've been quite uh, quite accurate here. I feels like I literally blame Robert <laughs> for a lot of the exaggeration <laughs> yeah, and yeah. bullshit because he's the worst offender and it, it's not even deliberate with Robert because he forgets the truth and just remembers the anecdotes and so it just gets yeah. worse and worse and then keeps embellishing them because he's a I mean he's a star that's what he does. Yeah. so it's the stories yeah. from series 1 and 2 where you don't have Robert's bullshit influence <laughs> you can trust these stories a bit more Yeah, Craig's pretty good with his memory I would say um, he, he has a couple of blips where he kind of fills in the gaps but mm. I mean it's, it doesn't need to be said that Craig has a genuinely good memory in general <laughs> he does yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Danny's memory is uh, underrated sometimes like some of the shit he comes out with on the the commentary that I listened to as well for the end which we'll get onto he, he's got a lot stored in his head like from yeah. the time yeah, he'll be the, just... he'll be the one to get things right, like get old lines right where others get them wrong. He yeah, he comes out with nuggets of truth, but they're in a massive a massive souffle of, of bollocks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what he says is accurate. It's just he says a thousand of the things at the same time. <clears throat> All the words nuggets that he says are accurate, but they're not shit. necessarily in the right order. Oh no. We must remount, we must remount this. We must get it on. 
I love him. It's a passion. Oh, I Fuck love him. him. I just, yeah, I, I could listen to that man talk all day. <laughs> There's a couple of occasions where he claps and points. It's like, yes, we got it. Yes. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's just, yeah. Uh, just to correct past Paul Jackson. Yeah, Alien was fucking years ago. He yeah, the Alien films in 1979. <laughs> yeah. I think this was pre-Alien. No! <laughs> or the, or it just got, yeah. I don't think Data it. from Star Trek could have existed without crying. <laughs> Aliens might have been roughly around the time Red Dwarf. Aliens was 86. Yeah, yeah. so that's so probably... Around the time they were shopping it, but not around the time they were rehearsing or shooting. Yeah. yeah. And also, yeah, Star Wars, Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Star Wars had finished. I mean, it does. It does kind of blow my mind that Back to the Future was made before Red Dwarf. In my head, that doesn't really make much sense. Oh, really? It's kind of well, yeah, eighty-five, right? So eighty-five. Yeah, no, well, no, but I, I always think of Back to the Future as pre. Oh, right. And the thing about Back to the Future is that it's got its release date burnt into the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the one. Like, (laughs) zoom out, please. Just, Craig, just just. Why are you so close? I think Craig just literally just makes himself bigger. I think when he gets, he like he he just he just sizes up when he, he gets excited. Like, he just like moves his chair. Very. It's just something he does. Nifty and funny bit of editing of juxtaposing. <laughs> yeah. Peter Isdell Scott talking about how important it was. Like it was vital. It had to be a success with Craig. I was hung over a lot of the time. It felt like <laughs> someone shatting me, head. Shatting it. <laughs> But again, it sort of shows that kind of the, the, the massive disparate gap between your executives and the people who actually make the show. and the people. It's that whole thing of just like that balance has to be made. Right, You know, the right people have to be at the top and the right people have oh, to yeah, be yeah. perfect to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's, also, it's like, as Craig points out, they were young. They were in their early to mid-twenties yeah. and they were away from home and like lads day out lads weekend away yeah. every fucking weekend yeah. in Manchester which at the time was party central yeah they would yeah. have been, the, the, I mean they've said the Hacienda was wet their yeah. stomping ground yeah and yeah of course when you're 23 mm. or 24 where Craig was at the time of course you're going to go on yeah also 24 and Craig Charles <laughs> yeah <laughs> double whammy <laughs> there <laughs> Right, so, oh, so this is Doug, um, <laughs> fucking classic Doug, whinging about money. I think that it's the fact that he thinks that the entire budget was spent on making a model, doing some model shots. Yeah, do you know? Do you know the army of staff you had to light and yeah. run the studio? <laughs> you fucking idiot! Had it been an independent production, it would have cost a lot fucking more, mate. <laughs> yeah. As you will find out. <laughs> yeah. Danny, do your do your Doug. There was no, no budget. <laughs> no budget. It's the only thing I can... I, think, I don't think you ever said that. No, it's, it's just... <laughs> what, what that is is an essence of Doug Naylor. It's a Michael Caine thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no budget. No budget. Sorry, Doug. There's no budget for the lawsuit anymore. <laughs> um, this uh, documentary also um, brings us the wonderful... Line. I don't even know if we've missed it, which is why I'm picking oh, it up now. fuck. Danny's, um, what is that crap you 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 mean? It's like you play Dracula, don't you? Like <laughs> that's a bit later. On. Yeah, okay, that's a bit later. On. <laughs> but uh, a classic of its of its type, like referenced a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I 
the first creaky red first dwarf. Creaky red dwarf. <laughs> I think that's what he says. That's yeah, all maybe. I'm going to say on that. <laughs> well, interestingly, so we'll get onto this. But in the in the first commentary, Craig Charles s- seems to suggest that under a million people watched the first one, and then yeah, three million watched the second one, which I guess was kind of possible. Um, Peter Isdale Scott is correct. The first viewing figure was about four and a half million, give or take, for the end. Craig is completely wrong. He's completely. Wrong. Well, right. hang on. He does say, he "Don't says, worry about the first one." Don't. Yeah, he says it's the next one. Was... It's future echoes that's going to be the one that you're looking at because you don't check uh, the end because the first one, no one will talk about it. That's how I've understood anyway. But I can I can tell you for a fact that yeah, um, the end was about four and a half million. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's Craig being wrong in the commentaries. Yeah. Right. Okay. He basically says it started off and no one was watching it and then by the end loads of people were. But yeah. it started off really, really strongly. But this story <laughs> this story about yeah, look and it had gone up a little bit for the second the second episode and that's mm. crucial, right? Because the second episode is purely on the strength of the first episode. Yeah. Therefore, you know, you know, that 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 it means a lot more than the first episode, which is usually a tribute to its marketing. Whereas yeah. Can, it's whether people hide. have watched the first episode and think it's worth watching exactly still yeah. and they fucking did so it basically got recommissioned on the strength of the first yeah. two or three um viewing figures and tailed off quite badly by the end yeah. but it was too late it was too late and then series two came along and everyone like the audience started to build and you just couldn't hey. i mean this is what chris is talking about here it's like by the time they got to series two the sort of the laughs were much bigger and, the, and the, very and specifically he talks about this one scene yeah. There was three lovelies, you fucking idiot. I did put a question mark in the subtitles. I, I saw like, hey, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put oh, God bless you, David fucking... Ross. God bless you. Oh no, one of, it is a fucking. It is a, um, I can. I can. I one hundred percent agree with Chris that this you sort of took the fucking house down. Oh yeah, he was brilliant. He's right. That is that is the moment that Red Dwarf was like born, really. Like in 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 a real sense, as like a oh, thing. Chris is drifting again. camera. camera. <laughs> <laughs> I've never noticed until you point it out now, and I yes. can't see it. Like a very clearly, Andrew people. had to take on the job, or like probably like someone who isn't a cameraman had to take on this <clears> job. <laughs> I know exactly what happened there, and that is that the. Um, the tripod wasn't tightened properly. So you don't have a man on it all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Actually, I've just realised actually, because I always, I always thought that Andrew was interviewing all these people, and then I realised that when Paul's talking to someone oh, yeah, later on, he's talking yeah. to like someone who was at the BBC back then. I was like, he kept talking yeah. to Andrew because that's usually not if someone's got a model shot in the CSO background Andrew is interviewing them unless yes. it's been retrofitted like there yeah. are some some of them in the era but yeah. you can hear Andrew laugh very clearly yes. uh, yeah. on, on a number of occasions I always love those moments where no at the time of that Paul Jackson interview that was circa Ellard being just a fat like chief BTL letter writer wow. he wasn't officially part of anything at that point yeah. god that's so but weird but he was going to be he was on the shortlist for Universe Challenge, but um, wasn't picked because he was too good. Really? Yeah. Was he that was there, he was there as a backup, wasn't he? He was going to fill yeah, in. Yeah, he was there as a backup. Yeah. And they did a round that got deleted where people came out in um, old Red Dwarf costumes and they had to. the question was, which episode is this from? And Andrew <laughs> was one of the people that walked out in a costume and then it all got cut. Oh, oh that's a shame. 
The Dwarfy audience, he, you know, Dwarfy is all right. I can take Dwarfy's that. Dwarfy's fine, but Colin's track is fuck off. Come yeah, fuck, go, go, get, get yourself <laughs> fucked. Come on, mate. <laughs> it's too early in the morning. Come on, mate. <laughs> I want to snap a pencil. Uh, this is it. And this is Peter Risdale Scott once again. This is the grand finale. Just... <laughs> He's the one, you know, so what, what, the story what about that? <laughs> what about that? <laughs> I just yeah, yeah. and <laughs> this is his peak Rowley Birkin though yeah <laughs> so I love him so much <laughs> <laughs> uh, the lighting camera was George Morse I think you'll find an additional camera from Jackson Jessup <laughs> associate producer Cliff uh, Pinnock and Andrew Ellard produced Helen Norman yeah everyone that, at the company at the time yeah the graphics throughout, like the captions and stuff, they got a lot better. <laughs> that looked like sort of default um, edit suite font, rather than the nice swishy That's, graphics that we had. Get, that just we just get to. it, just get it, done. get it done, get it like, done. Yeah, Premiere title pre- preset one. Yeah, <laughs> it looks fine. Yeah, we're already we are. You know, the, the, like they would have known that they were breaking some ground with the standard of a of a. TV release, and when you're going to release seven more, you can definitely like pace yourself, and that's exactly yeah. exactly what they did. Because when you get to series two, the the big documentary in inverted commas is what looks like offcuts of the interview they already did with Doug for this one. Or just yeah, or just, or just they could Doug. only get Doug. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they only had enough time to talk about series one with yeah. the others, but Doug's there, <laughs> so so Doug's gonna. Yeah, exactly. He could Be just available. talk forever about yeah. it, and so it's very well paced. This is clearly not a DVD that was overscoped and that you know would cause massive amounts of burnout. It was you know get content in there, get some value in there. People are going to love it. Yeah, what is the maximum amount that we can do? What is yeah. the best we can produce for thirty p? And yeah, however you know, a day in the a day in the recording studio, get the cast yeah. in, let them do their thing, easy. Yeah, I, I wonder. It's probably. Do you know what? It's probably the answer to this question is on toss, because the production of these DVDs was so comprehensively catalogued yeah. and documented, mm. which is just a brilliant thing in itself. That like the DVDs were the ultimate catalogue of Red Dwarf. They themselves were ultimately catalogued. Yeah, yeah. So all the information is no doubt on toss. So link in the show yeah, notes. The but show notes. Many it links feels like. Notes. They had the cast for a day to do series one. They did the commentaries and like, Craig, have you got five minutes to just, here's a camera, let's get something quickly. It doesn't feel like they were brought in specially, whereas for future uh, documentaries, you know, that was a whole update um, in the the sort of production cycle of, oh, we're doing our documentary shoot. Multi-day production, like different people on different days. And yeah, the audio commentaries, you can tell that they were really flagging by the end. <laughs> I listened to, for the first time in years, yeah. I listened to all the audio commentaries for Series 1, oh, and by me squared, they're like, it's yeah. <laughs> just big. I mean, they've run me out, at that point, they've run out of all of their jokes. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't stop them. No. <laughs> we could talk about the commentaries, right? Because this is a pretty big yes, part. Yes, we're, we're now post our commentary, and we're now talking we're talking the rest of the features and the very first thing listed as bonus features on the back of the dvd 
<laughs> is cast commentary. I listened to the end today. Oh boy! The amount at which they destroy Mac McDonald because of his weight <laughs> is it's astonishing. I don't remember, but just like they make jokes about how oh look at Mac, this was before his running past the salad bar days, or is that is is, is that dust pal supposed to be Hollister? Shouldn't it be a, like in a bucket? Uh, like <laughs> fucking relentless. Well, they're just yeah. they're just extending the series, series eight jokes. Say, right? Series yeah. eight is too fresh in their minds. Yeah. Series eight was only three. This years is how before. bullying works, though. Like series eight is like the big hard kid in the playground, and they're all the little like <laughs> satellites around him, going, "Yeah, you fat yeah. fuck." That this is, <laughs> I have a feeling that it's basically that the guys are doing what they would normally do if they watched the episode at the same time, yeah. but they forget but they were being recorded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. I like that—that's kind of what I'd expect. I'm kind of glad that we're not getting a sort of watered-down version of what they think because no. I'd rather get. Sort oh of, yeah, you know. <laughs> but funnily enough, like this is this is very early. So this is like a lot of. I mean, for me, I think uh, my first introduction to this is what their personalities are like. And like, like it's the first time you kind of think, "Oh, Danny John Jules is a is a little bit hard work, isn't he?" <laughs> and um, <laughs> like. Chris Chris conducts himself really well, I think, and actually so does Norman, considering he gets a lot of shit as well. Live, live shit. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very difficult, and as the years went on, people would start to resent these cast commentaries, um, and you 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 can see why. Absolutely. Well, the thing is that you don't get a lot of information. You don't learn anything, and like the handful of times over the years where we have got Doug commentaries. Which is only um, back to earth and a few episodes on the body. No, you're wrong. Writers and directors commentary. It says right here, series one. Well, we'll come to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, any commentary with Doug and or Rob and or Ed, you're going to learn a lot more in two seconds than you learn in a whole series worth of cast commentaries. And they did get really repetitive. But I am looking forward to sort of revisiting them and giving them a chance because, yeah... I remember the series one commentary because it was fresh and new. I did listen to that a lot, and yeah, yeah you're right. It was my first real inclination, my first like extended time um, hearing them out yeah. of character, yeah. getting to know the real person because I hadn't yet gone to DJ. My first DJ was a few months later. It was 2003 was my first one. Mm. Uh, the Coventry, Same. second Coventry, yeah. And yeah, based on seeing them in public at conventions and also from seeing them privately at conventions, sort of backstage, they their personalities are exactly what you get mm. on, on this um, on this that, commentary. That's There's their no public side performance. To that is hundred percent them. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I listened to all of them and I made a few notes and things that stood out, things that um, I'd either forgotten about over the years or things that have taken on a bit more significance over the years. Not all of them are that interesting, but I'm going to go through them anyway. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and we can edit them out. If they... Yeah, no, good. This is exactly exactly the sort of work that we should have done, but you did it, so excellent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, full disclosure, time. I actually forgot to do the commentaries because I, <laughs> I genuinely forgot they existed and didn't yeah. think they were worth revisiting, and that's literally the level we were at. But I've realised that for the sake of this, I should have fucking listened to the commentaries. <laughs> so next time, I'll do better. 
Well, this is the thing. Series one, it's our first attempt. It's going to get better as the series goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. You know, these will start being like four hours long rather than an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've already recorded for nearly as long as the extras last year. So anyway, in the end. Danny seems to confuse the ocean grey military grey scene with a real life argument that happened with the set designer. Because <laughs> they're telling an anecdote about they do the thing of like mentioning how grey everything is, and Danny says, "Oh, but do you remember though? Like, was it military grey or was it ocean grey?" And everyone assumed that he was doing a reference to the, the scene. scene, but he said, oh, "I remember these big arguments, people shouting across the set with the set designer and the painters of which one is it? Is it ocean grey or military grey?" What you've done there, Danny. Never <laughs> trust anything an actor says, ever. Actors know <laughs> fuck all about the thing that they do, like the, the show that they're acting in. They just know nothing. I just have a feeling that was probably a, a heated argument between Paul Jackson and Rob and or Doug <laughs> about the <Yeah>. script. Like, <laughs> Something, the, specifically yeah. about those lines, and that's what Danny overheard. <laughs> that seems much yeah. more plausible. Well, I can't picture Paul Montague having a heated row with anyone. <laughs> It was, it was it's very dark. <laughs> very dark, very dark. Oh, bless him. I'm a big fan of Paul Montague's work. Yeah, mum. Because they also say in the end that some of the fans think that, you know, that, that this is this is the absolute pinnacle. This you know, it never got any better than the grey set. It's like there's a little bit more nuance than that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's not just the sets that have a basic. And a lot of people <laughs> think the sets are absolutely great. But also think that the series three sets are better because they are. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, Danny during the end asks, "What happened to the three million years later caption?" And. At the time, when this originally came out, I thought he was just talking complete bollocks, but he's referring to the caption that was shown on the night when they recorded the end. Right. Uh, it's in the original assembly. Yeah, to oh, help cool. them, yes. So it was there at some point. It's in the script. Yeah. And so Danny just sort of misremembered and thought that it was in the final program yeah. when it wasn't. And Craig very rightly says, well, that would ruin the reveal, wouldn't it? <laughs> it totally would. Because Craig actually, like, Craig is the one that actually has a, a, a bit of a handle on how a TV show should be made. I don't know. <laughs> but it's interesting that, you know, Dan actually kind of remembers that particular section because that could be something that, you know, like. He's remembered than... something from the fucking recording, which at this point would have been, like, 13 years previously well yeah yeah, I guess (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but no yeah it's mad that he remembers that but not you know that the ocean grey military grey thing was a fictional scene the mysteries of Danny John Jules's mind is something we still haven't figured out I mean how how do we know that that wasn't something that Doug and Rob heard Mm. that's true because the thing is because it was me squared me squared was written after all the others. Yeah, so how do we know that there wasn't an argument that happened and then Rob and Doug went, fuck it, that's going in. That's yeah, like an that. argument between Paul Montague <laughs> and Dono true. or something. I have a feel, like, that it's very plausible. I could, I could absolutely understand that, but like, the, you know, the, the fact that there's two different coloured paints and it's like, don't use that one, use that one because it will look weird if you do it with that one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe. I'm, 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 maybe, yeah. I'm going to play devil's advocate on that one, I think. Day. Yeah, it's just that no one else has ever mentioned that argument. 
<laughs> because you'd think that Rob and Doug would have said, oh, oh yeah, we, we based that, that on yeah. this thing. I don't know. It's weird, though, because Doug, when he was at the DJ in 2018 and he mentioned where the 14B argument thing came from from his dad, mm. giving him when he was giving him a screwdriver and said, does that look like a you know, positive screwdriver? That's not. That's a Phillips screwdriver. Like, like that stuff we never knew about. So, like, it could easily be yeah. something that was just, you know, offhand and, you know... Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is the only place anyone's mentioned it. Yeah. My next note is that there's a bit in Future Echoes where Danny says of uh, Chris's hair. I think it was. I think it was Chris's hair. Someone's hair. It's always about Chris's hair. This fucking. (laughs) That's Virgin on Michael Jackson, followed by a giggle, followed by complete silence. (laughs) I postulate. That someone made a joke about there being a virgin on Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and Craig Charles was the one that made that joke. Uh, yes, for definite. This is, yes, yeah, okay. This is before he died, obviously, but like, yeah. But after, after we knew he was a nonce. Yeah. Yeah. Skipping ahead, in Waiting for God, they talk about Noel Coleman having died, but when they recorded this, he was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't die until 2007 <laughs> they talk about him as if he was ancient as if he was this frail old man that had just been wheeled in to do Waiting for Gardens like he must have been on his last legs he was 67 <laughs> when they made Waiting for Gardens did they think he died on set? on set? Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> they had to rapidly rewrite it <laughs> he, Shit. he was supposed to get up and walk off but he got up and fell over. Do they? I, I wonder whether actors sometimes just sort of forget about real life and wonder when people actually die. It's like, oh god, you know, rest in peace. Hundred percent. They're a different breed. They're they are absolutely all. I. They're 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 all mental. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put yourself in some sort of weird headspace to 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 get your job done, yeah. and I imagine that takes you to some very fucking weird places. And you have to take a few extra steps to get to Danny John Jules's head. <laughs> yeah. It's like wading through trees. It's like putting Google Translate on like three steps forward. (laughs) (laughs) Write it in Polish, but say that it's Russian and then translate it. Then then translate it backwards. Then read read out what you've got. (laughs) During Confidence and Paranoia, they talk about how Chris needs to get in shape ready for the movie. (laughs) Oh my God. And like, it's not a joke. (laughs) It's not like, oh yeah, I need to do that for the movie. It's a genuine. Yeah, I need to. I need to start working out because we're going to be doing the movie soon. Yeah. God. When was Tomb Raider? Uh, Tomb Raider had happened. Had because happened because they reference it. Yeah, right. it was have going to have happened. I think <laughs> it was two thousand and one. Right. The Tomb okay. Raider film, the first film. At this Raider, point, so. as well, Robert had had his um, had his test fitting, had his head measured for the mask, which was in yeah. June twenty second, which is my birthday. 2002 that had happened so, yeah 2001 so it was imminent it was like in pre-production yeah, yeah. and finally in Me Squared where, in the bit where Danny slash the cat um, goes in and roller skates they talk about the fact that you know they're bringing Danny's skills into it Starlight and, you know, Express it's yeah. the first, first time of Rob and Doug using what they know about the actors someone says oh you'll be on a unicycle next and Chris talks about it as if it is actually happens that Danny has been in a unicycle in an episode of Red Dwarf, and he says, "Oh, I bet there's people listening. You'll be able to name the episode that you're talking about." 
Have I gone mental or is he? Oh, he's gone mental. We don't we don't see the cat on a unicycle, do we? No, there's mentions of unicycle polo. polo. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is the only thing I can imagine. I mean, obviously there must have been something where like he's probably done it on set to test something, an idea yeah. or something I that they're doubt. doing. Yeah. yeah, and then that's probably what Chris is like. Obviously, you know, having done something for, he's seen Danny unicycling. There was a picture. I might be wrong about this, but I am picturing a picture in the making of Red Dwarf. (laughs) In the making of Red Dwarf book, I'm pretty sure that there's a picture of the warm-up for that was a bloke on a unicycle juggling. Okay, scans in the show notes. (laughs) If I'm not talking completely out of my ass. When I used to work for Inmarsat, I was on the sixth floor and I was next to the window. And one time I looked out of the window. And I swear to Christ, I saw someone unicycle across Old Street roundabout, like on the road, <laughs> unicycling over. And I said, did anyone else see that unicyclist go across the roundabout? And no one did. And, and Chris Barry said, yes. And Chris Barry said, oh, yes. I bet there's a Red Dwarf fan that knows about that. <laughs> he said, oh, yes, it's the globalist conspiracy. <laughs> well, this unicyclist was very competent, and presumably that was by design. <laughs> we now pause while Danny flicks through his copy of the main. While Danny <laughs> flicks himself off to Trisha. Ah, there you go. Okay, I found the dude. A page eighty-seven of the uh, making of Red Dwarf book. There is a picture of a man unicycling, juggling with sticks on the front of an audience. So show me. Chris, yeah, thought that, that was Danny. So there was definitely. <laughs> also, I mean, I'm pretty sure Danny would have jumped to... on that at some point. We're going to have to scan that page. I will <laughs> yes. do that. Like, A, yes, this proves the point that there has been a unicycle on the set of Red Dwarf, and I don't doubt for a second that Danny John Jules had a go on that unicycle. Absolutely did, yeah. Secondly, on the picture next to it, there's a bloke in the audience that looks exactly like Vic Reeves. It might have been. <laughs> dressed as, usually there's something funny about a couple of fellas wearing brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And the guy next to me looks bored as fucking Craig's in front of him, you fucking yeah. mardy bastard. Like series 6 is the best series you're ever going to fucking see. Cheer the fuck up. Mardy cunt. Now then, mardy cunt. And that man was Paul Jackson. <laughs> 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 there <we are>. <laughs> Anyway. Continue. We also have the writer and director commentary for episode one. Mm. Subdiffuse. Except it's not. <laughs> but I appreciate the effort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a bit excited by that, and then you told me the truth about it later on, because I thought it was like genuinely made for the DVD. I didn't know about Six oh, of the Best Trousers. Oh, you didn't know about Six of the Best Trousers down? No, never knew about it. I didn't buy it, didn't have it, didn't know about it until uh, until I met you guys, and then you told me about the Six of the Best thing. I was like, hang on, this is on the fucking DVD? Oh, you cheeky fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, you experienced it as... A, a unique mm. writers and directors commentary for episode one, which is uh-huh. yep. pretty good, really. really good. Where they're talking about all sorts of things, like the genesis of it, the ideas, why they wanted to do it, going to see Dark Star in sale with their <laughs> tops of their. <laughs> tops did of it start the then, or did it start with Dark Star? Dear God, sir. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's another example of doing the best that they possibly can. Like, we can't get Rob, Doug and Ed together in a room to do this. 
I mean, probably at this stage, yeah. <laughs> Doug and Rob hadn't spoken to each other for a long time. Rob was still kind of in his hermit stage at this point. Yeah, so we can't have a writer and director commentary, but we've got this wealth of, you know, this big recording that we've got that not that many people will have actually heard. Yeah. Mm. So let's turn it into a commentary. And also, the rest of it, we use half an hour of it for the commentary, and the rest of it we'll chop up into episodic bits and put them as Easter, Easter eggs, eggs on every single one of the first six releases. And it's great, actually, because it, it is such a sort of piecemeal offering of information. I kind of like that. I have a theory. Easter eggs shouldn't exist. They should all be on a menu. <laughs> on the the body snatcher disc of the complete one to eight Blu-ray, the Easter eggs are on a menu <laughs> just called Easter yeah. eggs because the menu systems don't, don't work like. Oh uh, right, okay. So there's actually but, just yeah, they're just outright put them on there. Come on there. I get you. Yeah. I I hear you. Jonathan, but <laughs> well, uh, you're fucking wrong. The, it's part of the excitement of the medium yeah. of the time. That is exactly how I think about it as well. Fine, I remember there was a whole website called eggs.com and it was just dedicated. Eggs.com. Eggs.com, man. <laughs> Surely that's not still online. Fucking old men talking about the internet. Jesus. I mean, the internet, the wayback machine might have it, but <gasps> it bloody is. Really? Eggs.com is still a going concern. I like this. This is a case study in how two people can pronounce a very famous website in completely different ways. <laughs> I mean, it's eggs, isn't it? It's so like it's, it's um, like um, May May. It's like what May May or Mimi, like instead of meme. Like I, I called memes Mimi. If anyone but... says May May, they need to smack it in the face. No, I said Mimi's. It's like some people say fucky book wrong, don't they? <laughs> fucky book, fucky book, <laughs> and Stargram. Some people say tooth wrong. I, I, I get it, I get it, but like, how many Easter eggs have you gone hunting for, found, and got that satisfaction? And how many have you looked up on the internet and then found and then watched? Very rarely needed to. Yeah. Because um, they're not difficult to find. I mean, speak for yourself, Sherlock it's fucking always, Holmes. It's always click on something and, you know, press every direction. <laughs> yeah. Until you get to a, a different bit That's of That's true, menu. until it's something like, like lights up where it shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's the satisfaction of finding them was great. And, yeah, I, I get both sides of it. Yeah. But I think it's it's a product of we've got this ability to do this which you know you can't how do you have a hidden feature on a fucking vhs true but other than doing it like a bonus track on a cd and put it right bonus the track yeah, yeah that's the <laughs> just, as i was saying it I, that occurred to me that, oh yeah you which you can hide that. on a vhs yeah. much easier than you can on a cd because it's fucking obvious when there's a hidden track on a cd <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a fair point and also they are again trying to push push up the watermark of what you can do uh i can't remember exactly what it is but I'm sure that there's an interview with Ellard somewhere where he talks about Follow the Rabbit which was was it The Matrix? The Matrix Matrix DVDs there was a rabbit where you followed the rabbit to find Easter eggs basically you chased the rabbit around the menus he said A that the scutter in Red Dwarf menus was the rabbit equivalent um, and so when you go through the airlock in the menus, the scutter's there and yeah, he leads you into the drive room. And then if you go to the drive room to the chapter menu selection, yeah. uh, he's there holding up a sign, yeah, etc. Nice. On the second disc, he takes you from the drive room to the bunk room. It's also the reason why in the Series 3 DVD, the rabbit is the Easter egg I, um, in the 
in the menu that ended up breaking DVD players, which we'll come to in a couple of. Um, <laughs> That's going to be a good days. episode, guys. Oh yeah. man, <laughs> I'd forgotten all about yeah. that. Um, but what I like about the slicing up of previous content to to bolster this is that it really gave it a feeling of like an archival piece. Like we're mm. putting as much as we can, so these DVD releases will represent. Red Dwarf as a whole in like mm. side media, everything and 100% they succeed in that, like Body Snatcher put the cherry on it but 1 to 8 basically gets everything, uh, everything they could uh, as much as they could It's uh, like th- this is where it starts Like, I mean we'll get to the, the other bits but it's just, just save as much, it's like as an archival yeah. piece of work, it's like invaluable. It's a time capsule. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, here's everything. Here's everything in one place. Yeah. And because Andrew Allard knows what everything was, and also has access yeah. to find new things that we didn't even know about, which comes more and more, you know, you're in good hands because this guy's got the context. There's so few gaps, and it's really exciting now that we have the DVDs when you learn about something or you see something for the first time that isn't on the DVDs because they're so yeah. thorough. Or you see a picture and you say, oh, I don't think I've seen that before, unless it was maybe on the galleries on the DVDs. And, and it always is. Usually it is, but <laughs> there is, there, you know, there are pictures out there or like that the Jimmy have that we, I don't think, we maybe haven't ever seen or was was in a magazine once. But, you know, um, so sometimes they do crop up. Um, back when they actually employed someone to do that, um. <laughs> I, will, I will say one more thing about the uh, the actual DVD digital covers. Were like, yeah, that's a good point. The actual spines, like aside from the text on the spine, but we'll, we'll ignore that. <laughs> we'll, the, come that. we'll come to that. We'll come to that. But that little that little section of the of the logo there is one hell of a promise. Mm. Yeah. Like it's basically a commitment to saying we're going to see this through to the end. I must say, sir, I've got to admire your balls. <laughs> Perhaps later. But it just is one of those things where it, I remember seeing that and just thinking, oh, my God, they're going to do the, they're gonna do the whole thing on the, on the spines. And I was just like, holy fuck, they're going to actually do this. Like, this is, this is going to continue on now for another four years. Fucking brilliant. It's so important, though, isn't it? Your average lad in, like, in their black alien T-shirt that's like, oh, yeah, I like Red Dwarf, I'll buy this, and they see that spine. They're not, they're not maybe not reading Toss. Because only a few thousand people yeah. did. Yeah, they'll see that and they go, "Oh fuck, they're doing the whole thing." I de- this is a good investment. It's genius. Actually, do you know yeah. what? I've just realised that the Red Dwarf logo is not on the spine at all, even in like sort of small version and then sort of you know like, yeah, yeah. like the, that's a really obscure design. They've choice. got their little images, which but the, yeah. When you think about the way that DVDs were always displayed in the shops, it was always. You could always see Especially the front. Especially yeah, new releases. Yeah, always, yeah. shelves. The only snag with this design is that for four years you had to deal with the factor of having an incomplete <laughs> picture on your wall while you were waiting but for you the were, rest You were the... excited. It, it kept I imagine that had the same problem as those piecemeal, what they're called, um, things that release. Oh, part works. Yeah, part this, work. yeah, this was you, our yeah. new part Collect work, your but... collection in it. Definitely DVD. This one actually delivered. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like things? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, it does. It just in this little tiny little box is just so many good memories, and like even having the fact that the signed is a reminder of where I was when I had this thing in my hand, and it's just like it's crazy how this this makes me feel a sixteen year old fan again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. twenty. Fuck. It, there's so many 
so many good decisions made here like taking the leap to have new renders done for the for the front clearly planning out well to a certain point uh, what each series was going to have at least the first three at least the <laughs> first three let's say yes <laughs> and indeed it <approached. laughs> but but you know they get the commit into the new renders i think again it was either deluxe digital or it was um i think it might have been chris field oh chris field yes they are chris field also just to add to the completeness just giving us a little bit of remastered because that happens to be the cleanest nicest depiction of lister painting the ship so they stick oh, that on mm. just to just to have it to be part of edwards history is still there in all these original dvds i actually really like that it, it works incredibly well whenever we do anything involving the having to do something series by series we use the dvd colors, colors. as a shorthand it is impossible yeah. not to use them yeah. they are literally ingrained in my brain it's always in the order it never changes it's exactly what we use and it's how we use it as shorthand for everything yeah it's on the, it's on the website we, we whenever we got an article from series 5 or a commentary from series 5 it's 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 lit in the series 5 colors and that kind of stuff you know it's, it's even to the extent that stuff that's not linked to a particular series <laughs> we have like news articles are red features are blue reviews are green interviews um, yellow we got rid of the interviews one which was which was cream but then it's dwarf casts a uh, uh, teal yeah. yeah and and misc used to be brown so it was always whenever you numbered something you'd always you'd also color yeah. it look at the complete guide look at any of the polls look at the yeah. voting system that we're currently developing for the next poll <gasps> it's all using these colors i mean that's our rainbow isn't it that's... try figuring out what the fuck colors the promised land of back to earth yeah. is but so it's, a, it's the red dwarf pride flag <laughs> yeah, yeah it is it is it is yeah. it is it is 100% is this, those spines yeah. next to each other oh that's an idea for a project like <laughs> not, we, we won't call <laughs> it a pride flag a project <laughs> high high just a flag just a flag get rid of all these gays <laughs> and just have red dwarf land. i saw someone on twitter saying they were so incensed about football teams wearing their away shirt at home or their away shirt away when they could wear their home shirt someone <laughs> tweeted uh, rather than messing about with rainbow laces why doesn't the FA mandate that people should wear their home <laughs> kit when they can and then I unfollowed kit crimes <laughs> um, but yeah the, the covers are a thing of a thing of beauty and like it was quite an undertaking to be honest so many checks were written and many asses had to cash them along the years. <laughs> I remember um, there was the, the, the amount of conversations so that you guys had with Elard DJs, just like hounding him. Don't remind the, me what what the colour was going to be for the next. Oh, for the next one. <laughs> and I just remember him just like trying to keep this. Like he, he needed to have some secrets, don't we, darling? It was one of those <laughs> things where, you know, it was either everything was pretty much good. It's like if you just. Be patient, and the information will come at the right time when you're supposed to know about it. And it was just I like... can't imagine how annoying we were. <laughs> I can <laughs> to a man that was like just where we apologise formally. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of years older than us, but like that's quite a crucial age difference when you're like you know when you're well, like I was in my teens, he was in his twenties. Mm, yeah, um, and he used to be a he fan. Was a he used to be actual, like us professional adult. person yeah. working in the yeah, TV yeah. industry he was a real adult and then you've just got this cunt who thinks he's an equal but is a child <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I basically, I have very, very fun memories of uh, staying up all night talking to Andrew about the DVDs. But thankfully, I don't remember the specifics because I'm sure I must have been annoying as fuck. <laughs> and like knowing that the things that I used to complain about, it's like yeah, criticism. I don't regret criticizing things and uh, you know having opinions and having reactions that are that are negative. Yeah. But what I now can't stand from now being someone who's a professional who works in a creative industry is the second guessing of the reasons why things are like the way they are or saying oh that was a waste of time that was a waste of money you should have done this you should have done that mm-hmm. I would punch my younger self in the face if I could I, everyone would punch their younger self in the face I think hey everyone would punch your younger hey, self everyone would punch 20 year old Capsie for sure everyone would punch 38 year old I was no I mean like no matter what I'm like now fucking hell <laughs> But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Series one was, you know, we weren't quite. Series one was awful. This is before we really like fully coagulated as a as a group of cunts. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think I knew either of you when this came out. No, I think I might have seen your name, Capsi, on a forum. Yeah, I think we might have already but I don't figured think out. I'd have seen Danny. I think we might have figured out on the BTLI forums that we were both Villa fans, or both um, massive Sonic fans. Not not even then. Not at this stage, oh, yeah, okay. because we were both at... Um, must have been after DJ, then. We were both at Coventry DJ in yeah, 2003, okay. and we didn't speak to each other or know each other. We sat on the same stage as each other, eating cornflakes with raw onions on, yeah. but it wasn't until, like, seriously, 15 years later, what we realised that that was the case. Yeah. It was like, hang on, that was you. Yeah. I have pictures of that. <laughs> uh, I, I won, I won. by the way. Ian thinks that he finished first, but, I mean... The history books are written by the winners, right? <laughs> so, I have a photo from that DJ of your brother wearing a hat. That I was <laughs> one of the annoying cunts of that DJ. He was running around with a deerstalker that was similar to Lister's deerstalker, putting it on people's heads and taking photos. I've got a photo of your brother with the hat on and giving like yeah, give it, rock yeah. <laughs> uh, devil horns to the camera and again it wasn't until like five or six years later I was like oh hang on that's him yeah. that's yeah. that's the bloke in my photo you're at a family barbecue <laughs> at mine you're like wait a minute yeah. <laughs> I know you I've seen your face <laughs> I know you I do I know you oh god this know. is this is getting dangerously close to a Reminisce. These are all lovely memories. <laughs> to a reminisce package. Shall we return to our list? A lot of these we'll be able to go over quite quickly, I think. Yeah, I don't have a huge amount to say other than, hooray, deleted scenes. Do you know what? This was brand new stuff. So... Yeah, yeah unbelievable. And even now, even now, I, I was watching them last night, even 20 years after I first saw them, I'm thinking, bloody hell, this is amazing being able to see this stuff. Yeah. This stuff was legendary we had no idea mm-hmm. any of it existed the, we had no idea what the specifics were we'd heard there was this funeral scene that was a disaster and now we've fucking seen it mm-hmm. and now we've we've even seen it in its original context mm-hmm. alongside all the With other things that were recorded that day yeah. but i remember the i remember the smeg up where yeah lister is putting the the canister in the bin and i just yeah. remember thinking i was like what is, where's that from what is that yeah and i never even knew about yeah. the funeral scene never even put two and two together and i remember seeing that 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 deleted scene just going oh my this is it this is where it's from uh, to get that later context of this was shot seven weeks before most of the final product of 
of the end. Yeah. Is, yeah. And, and it was the smeg the Smegups gave us like little hints. This is why I love them mm. so much, because they, they give you little hints about the process. You don't yeah. quite know the context for and you can't quite like, you know, it's gonna wrench my heart from its sockets to do so, Lister. It's like that's yeah. Um and, you know, siren stuff as well. And like it, it, Lord, it's Lord, so Lord. interesting because you know when when the smeg up the smeg ups are defined basically by what was on the original release or the smeg outs release i would say yeah it's taken from the smeg outs release and it is literally all the series one <laughs> ones in i think i'm right in saying in order, in order yeah. of how they first appeared on the smeg outs tape as a consequence of this there are actually a couple of outtakes from series 2 in this because they lifted the montage of Norman swearing oh, yeah. uh, wholesale from <laughs> Smeg Out, and that was a mix of series one and two. Oh, two. yeah. That was course. nicely put together, that. Re- re- redoing and the CSO to put him in, um, put him in the space. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that this doesn't have is the super outtake where um, Craig corpses at the end, um, which <laughs> fell off and was later included as an Easter egg on the Body Snatcher collection just for completion. I ah, see. That's the thing with that, the caption. It's like, if, if, yeah, everything mm-hmm. eventually ends up in there somewhere where where they could. Yeah. The Body Snatcher collection being the vital final piece. You may try to escape the grasp of Andrew Ellard. Yeah, just chef's yeah. kiss. I'm looking forward to Let's that see. one. <laughs> So it's at least to see in Smegup's original trailer, <laughs> bizarrely listed above launching Red Dwarf in the feature yeah. list, the original trailer. <laughs> Seems a bit like, random, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah, again, you watch that and just it's yeah, it's the historical significance of it because it te- it shows you the ti- the television landscape mm-hmm. of the time. You know, you wouldn't get a trailer like that <laughs> even even by the time they made series five and six you wouldn't get a trailer no, it was much that more felt slick, that wasn't sort it? of yeah. static yeah. and still images with voiceover over the top yeah and you wouldn't get a trailer that long yeah. for something either well, the bbc unless it went was... through a huge creative almost revolution didn't they like late 80s early yeah. 90s where everything went through the roof you look at all the original continuity for series one is now online link in the show notes courtesy of jim lynn and his vh history blog which is fucking oh, amazing and yeah, combine the the trailer with that stuff, and it's like this feels like something from the long distant past. It feels like it's more than thirty five years old at this stage. It feels like it's you know, it feels no real different from. Hello, this is the BBC from London. Mm. Now, <laughs> Red Dwarf. Lister's <laughs> in a bit of a pickle. <laughs> but luckily, that swine Hitler <laughs> gets you down, doesn't it? Thank you, Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> return to the gold standard <laughs> and then we come to the drunk featurette which is probably one of the things that I complained about a lot at the time yeah. <laughs> of like what's the point of this why is it on the disc but it is entirely harmless yeah, yeah the, like, the, they all are <laughs> yeah. they are they are fillers but they but they still needed an immense amount of work to put together. I think that was my qualm at the time. Was in my uninformed way. It was like, why are you spending your time doing this when you could be doing whatever else? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I even knew at the time what <laughs> what the alternative could have been. But I now know that it's not. It's, it wouldn't be a case of oh, we'll either do this or we'll do you know a, a, a two hour documentary <laughs> it's not as simple as that and now the, these things like and and they carry on up to eight do they yeah, yeah. they stop yeah, at eight so there's through. eight of these yeah. fuckers so I, I i just think it's 
we're not the audience for them. Like this was a broad release no. meant for lots of different but, types yeah, of fans. Yeah, but then you, yeah, I think that's yeah. it. It's we we are interested in thirty minutes of <laughs> silent uh, film rushes of models. Yeah. A hell of a lot of people picking up these discs are not remotely interested in that, but they will happily watch a three-minute compilation of funny moments from the show with a pop song in the background. And also, it's kind of YouTube ahead of its time. Like, these things exist now. It's a whole genre on YouTube of musical compilations of TV shows. And this is pre-YouTube. So this proves that there are people that like these, yeah. It's the fact that they've got enough footage that could be used to make this this mm. feature. Well, there is for drunk because it's a good subject. Things get a little bit more strained as we go along, <laughs> which we'll come to. My main takeaway from drunk is that I still remember doing the fucking <laughs> yes. Link in the show notes. <laughs> I transcribed this <laughs> feature, and I remember what I did because at the time, gather round, children, back twenty years ago. <laughs> I didn't have a computer and a TV in the same room <laughs> because I didn't have a laptop, I just had a PC and it was in a different room to either of the two tellies that were in the house, only one of which had a DVD player. So I remember going to the computer room, printing out the lyrics to Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba, <laughs> then going <laughs> going back to my bedroom where the DVD player was, playing it, and making a note of which point in the lyrics the shot changed, then getting a separate <laughs> and a separate notepad to note down exactly what the dialogue was at every point. Oh no, exactly what the scenes yeah. were, and then getting a tape recorder and recording the audio of the fucking DVD playing so that I had all the exact dialogue to transcribe. Took all that back to my computer and typed it all up. Um, and it, it's horrendous. It was a horrible thing to do, and I don't know why I did it. But my intention that? was to do it for all of them, and then I stopped after the second one. <laughs> so you did do the second one as well? I did yeah, do the second yeah. one, and I had a good old complaint. <laughs> but we'll come to that on the next episode of Rediscovery. <laughs> oh. Next, I have a confession to make. I did not watch the entirety of the Japanese version of The End. Neither did I. For the purpose no. of this rewatch. It is the remastered version with Japanese yeah. voice acting. And some cuts, right? I, I, I mean, you said cuts, right? I said, I said, I said cuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hundred percent. There's an article okay. about this, uh, but I think there are some. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely it's definitely trimmed down a little bit, but I couldn't tell you. Well, it's fitting a commercial half hour, I think. But yeah, in terms of a DVD feature, it's not going to have cost them anything to put it on there, <laughs> time or money. So they might as well. Ideal world, I think. What I said at the time was that. What would have been interesting is putting together a version of the end based on lots of different foreign dubs oh, yeah. and and translations <laughs> of like piece meaning it together. So it check like each scene is a different country, so you get to hear everyone. That would take a lot more time and effort. Yeah, but thing yeah. is that I, the, do you know where that's kind of pressure because I remember there was a I think it was like a celebration of like Disney's multicultural thing where they released a version of Let It Go from Frozen. And every mm. line was from a different language as it was going through. The yes. whole thing was cut together. So that's, that's trippy, actually. It's quite cool, but <laughs> they kind of show you the languages it's kind of going through to so yeah. kind of like compare and contrast. But yeah, it's great. It's a. I think the reason why we specifically get the Japanese version is that the the show had recently launched in Japan, hadn't it? Um, that was what the, allegedly the remastered was all for. 
mm. was launching it in territories like Japan, and um, it done quite well. And I think it's a sign. What this is is a sign of the things that they would be willing to put on for just for the sake of pure interest, um, mm. and making like a punt because it's like you say, oh yeah, we're going to put a Japanese version of an episode on. Everyone would say why. But it's just nice that it's there. What it is is kind of like a, almost a celebration of its Sheep. of its success, really. Mm. The fact that it took off so so much in Japan. The fact that it exists at all, a Japanese version, yeah. is a, something to it's share. It's not about. just subtitled; it's dubbed. It's been done with you know with actual effort and and, and yeah. time. And, I was going to say they must have been pleased with how this version came out. It's from what I remember, it's it's a decent. It'd know, be interesting to find out how well it translates because there's a lot of very sort of you know idiosyncratic jokes about mm. sort of british life and i wonder how mm. they've actually translated when it moves on to japanese because i they're wonder just, if they change the context just, of things just call it no web that's <laughs> <laughs> all they have to do 180 billion pounder <laughs> Nanny <laughs> Oh I'm putting that in, that's good, that's fine. Special effects raw footage. That is the sound of various red dwarf geeks ejaculating at the same time. <laughs> the fact that these were included, I think, was at the time one of the biggest the biggest deals. I, mean, I could not yeah. believe that we had access to this stuff. Like the mu- the music cues are one thing, but the special effects raw footage was a whole other beast. Mm-hmm. The raw footage of like the the full unedited version yeah. of the um, dust storm and just oh, all those yeah. things are just like ah, it's so good. The it's fucking just, it's... clapper boards. Like you see, Mike Tucker in super speed. Oh no! It yeah. might be Pete Tyler actually in Super Speed. Like, well, that's the thing clacking. is, you, you you realize that how this stuff was done, and your mind's kind of blown when you realize the the reality of how these model shoots and stuff were done when you know high speed so they slow it down and get better gravity, you know, you know, better more, temporal more resolution. And, yeah, just like yeah, better sort of more weight and, and physics and whatnot. All the clapperboards, so we know the date of which mm, these things yeah. were shot and. Who was yeah? Who was involved? I would have. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the nerd in me wants commentaries on those, and we did get that. Well, to yeah, I was going to say we kind of get that. There were in future releases. There are things like that. What I have always wanted is the ability to combine the raw footage and the isolated music cues, and so like listen to the music cues while I'm watching the um, <laughs> while I'm watching the raw effects. I mean, it's doable because I've got them all ripped. But like at the time. <laughs> I wanted that as a, a branching option on my. That'd DVD. be a good thing with Blu-ray. Like you just have a little slide-out menu and just say play, play random. Oh yeah. Or something because uh, it's, uh, because yeah. Blu-rays are essentially just applications. Like they're just bits of PC mm. software. Um, so you could do whatever you want, really. Pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, that'd be good. And I get the last few extras. Is we'll sort of rail through because they're all on the basis of let's just have an archive of everything yep. and it's talking book chapters like samples of the talking books basically it's the red that's uh, the red dwarf time capsule the radio is what show? i'm oh, we're dubbing it. the radio show comes later right, okay, yeah. in future ones when they've run out of when they've run out of um talking book chapters <laughs> but yeah it's the sections of infinity that are based on series one episodes basically right, yeah. so there's a bit of the future echoes one and a bit of the me squared it's nice. one it's very nice um then there's the photo gallery, and it suffers from a problem 
that all, or, or, or most if not all DVD or. photo galleries have of fucking sticking the photo in a tiny section <laughs> surrounded by <sighs> yeah, surrounding graphics. I mean, right. I get it. Like that's not the like, thing is, it's a photo. It's not the original resolution. It can be bigger. Yeah. Like I've got the, the Looney Tunes collection, and they have like galleries and, and, and pencil ink tests and all this kind of stuff. And it's like uh, because it's Looney Tunes, they're all on fucking jaunty angles and the thing. You know, they're all kind of you know on the wonk and the they, they you know they all look they're like they're like someone's pinned it to a wall and it's weird, it's wacky. And it's like I can't rip those fucking things because they're in the wrong fucking orientation, and I have to rescale everything and resize it and rotate it, you bastards ideally you'd have the dvd presentation and then when you open up the dvd on your pc you'd have a little folder with just hey that's exactly what i was going to say like ideal world you can have that as your presentation for watching it on the telly but then give us the give give us jpegs but do you know what i bet you there's some sort of rights issue about that very possibly it could be a way to to make it because happen, like in a way that sort of like almost buy the rights for like so you can't easily yeah like it. your photo paul grant is going to be included in this montage video which is technically a video and this is the one-time rights payment or whatever if we're going to put full quality versions of your photos on the dvd then it's a whole different thing isn't it yeah that's that's a, that's basically yeah. digital distribution that's yeah. a whole other that's a whole other kettle of fish all of the kettle of bastards mm. Another issue with the photo gallery is that uh, one of the photos is from Remastered. For fuck's sake. Uh, one of the photos is from Series 8. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, is that Holly? Yeah. 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 That's happened they so fucking much. They didn't have any photos of Norman Lovett, evidently. Yeah. One of them is a concept drawing for Blue Midget, which is brilliant, but surely that's Series yeah. 2. Well, it might have been a concept for Series 1, they just never did it. It might have been. It might have been. We don't know. I mean, we could probably, if it was in better resolution, see if there's a date on it mm. that would tell us, but we, we can't. No. But there's a load more Series 1 photos that aren't on here. Mm. Like all those rehearsal shots in Acton that are on TOS. They were only recently. They were only relatively recently. Declassified. Declassified. Because they're all Paul Grant as well, aren't they? And there's there's always been a complication with that for some reason. I wonder (laughs) what that reason might be. We were given permission to show them at DJ, but with like an express permission that they were not allowed to be like photographed. That was a whole extra raft, though. There was a core set of photos from that same session that were always out there Mm -hmm. because they're in the companion book. Right. Okay. Yeah. Some of my favourite photos, the the rehearsal photos, are just amazing to me. Because that, by their nature, it's a good year before they actually fucking shot the thing. I just think it's, yeah. I think it's weirdly, I don't know, I, I I can never understand the sort of prescience of going, we should be taking photos mm, of this stuff. I can't. Like whether it's done for some other reason and there just happens to be a photographer in the room, or is it done for, is it done for blocking? Is it done for camera work? Is it done for? You know, is it like what's the reason? Like, other than just mm. posterity and having these, you know, memories of it. Well, of if it was, if it stuff, was, it's, it's weird. Paul doing it, it's almost like, oh, I'll come along, Rob, and watch your rehearsals, and I'll take some photos, and you know, it's kind of like, let's see, yeah, yeah, it's like a band doing a rehearsal, and one of their mates is taking photos of them because they'd be useful at some point. Okay, yeah, yeah. It, can, it's I just can, a guess, but like, yeah, I know what you mean because like rehearsal shots, you don't get rehearsal shots. With with shows, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of behind yeah. the scenes stuff. But that's usually like in studios and things like yeah, that. You don't exactly. Get. When when you were maybe rehearsing, dress rehearsing on the set, then yeah, yeah you'd you'd have loads of back 
back behind the scenes stuff you'd expect. But yeah, rehearsals for a show that hadn't even mounted properly yet. Like, yeah, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? And finally, the last of the... Oh, no, 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 no. not quite. Because there's another Easter egg that we haven't spoken about, which is uh, the photograph that probably developing from Future Echoes. The final extra listed is Weblink. Oh, the Weblink. Uh, do you know what? I don't uh, know why. Why didn't we put this at the top? Why don't we put this at the top? Like, this is fucking huge. <laughs> I mean, God bless them. Does I that even work link. anymore? Does that even Does that even work? It just goes to redwarf.co.uk. Yeah. Yeah. What you have to do, Danny, <laughs> is as you're watching the DVD on your, on your TV, <laughs> yeah. which you almost certainly would have been in 2002, yeah. you click on Weblink on the menu... Uh. And it, t- it brings up <laughs> instructions telling you to take the DVD out of your DVD player, uh-huh. take it into your separate computer room, which I assume everyone has, uh-huh. and put it in your DVD drive, and then open up a little file called dwarf.htm. Uh-huh. Not HTML like you and Skeletor think, <laughs> dwarf.htm. Oh, that was how uh-huh. we did it back in the day. And then open that up, and within that, there's a link <laughs> to go to reddwarf.co.uk. Or... Or you could just type in Red Wolf. <laughs> or we could just use the teleporter. I love, I fucking love this early 2000s awkward tech jank bullshit. It, oh, I love mate, it to bits. I mean, this, this was bad, but can you remember when, when CBBC had, like, interaction, but they hadn't, like they hadn't dealt with like web shortening or anything like that where like the addresses were shortened <laughs> right, so yeah. it was like HTTP yeah. call forward slash forward slash www.cbbc.co.uk forward slash CBBs tilde whatever the fucking squiggly thing is yeah. and then just <laughs> yeah. like tilde was a, a key that everyone was used to in the 2000s because you needed it in order to be able to get to certain websites yeah. and yeah the, the, the web addresses were just so fucking long the very earliest ones that I've experienced were Lee and Herring so this computer their their Radio 1 show in 94 94 I think it started in 95 they had a they had a section on the internet which like for the time was way ahead of it yeah way ahead of itself and they had, like had a bloke that they brought on as the internet expert and he said like, oh and all you need to do if you want to see any of these links <laughs> go to compuserve.com slash and it was yeah. just like 30 40 <laughs> random generated characters the, the email address was compuserve used to just give you a load of numbers at compuserve.net yeah. oh or whatever and so the email address was that and what was good about that is that that guy was just he was just a normal guy wasn't he so you had Leon Herring yeah. like here's our internet expert it's... you'd expect like Peter Bainham like here's my yeah. recipe for and no it's just a normal man talking about the internet he happens to have internet access which makes him notable and makes him eligible for a slot on Radio 1 um <laughs> In in a, in a connection to that, they did also had for this morning with Richard not Judy, which was a late nineties thing they did. Uh, I think in the first or second episode, they said you could go to. Um, I think it was it was actually it was um, they, they were hosted on not BBC on Rob's yeah, stuff, Rob's Rob Sedgebeer stuff, and they said uh, in, in case you have the internet, which uh, only paedophiles or red dwarf fans use. <laughs> It was Stuart Lee said, I don't have the internet because I'm not interested in child pornography or Red Dwarf. <laughs> and that website was mudhole.spodnet.com. The most and 90s internet domain ever, I think. Like Spodnet. <laughs> Spodnet, that's good. That's going to have them rolling in the aisles at fucking. <laughs> that's Rob Sedgwick. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is available for seven thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollars. <laughs> oh, really? He's let it lapse. It's like oh god, oh Rob, Rob, you have to resign your post as king of the internet. Right, I think we've talked about this. Wow, there's the collector's booklet as well, which is easy to take for granted, but is a fantastic piece. Of this work. is it. You, you can easily overlook you, it. In fact, do you know what? I did. They I weren't long for this world, to be honest. Like like booklets in things in games in DVDs they were on their way out in 2001 mm. but Andrew fucking Allard stuck with it it's so lovely it's really lovely and you pick it up it's the it's the best way of, of having a look at the the model the background yes. because when you look at it on the actual DVD cover behind a layer of plastic and with so much else over the top of it you don't get mm. the full effect but the colors of it are really lovely yeah. on the booklet, which is obviously as well because you keep it twenty years on because you keep the booklet inside the case. It doesn't have any sun damage yeah. on it or anything. You got the pristine like, foil logo as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, beautiful thing. Content's great. Obviously, it goes into the level of of depth that's suitable for a general audience without sort of neglecting the us audience. Mm-hmm. And one of the very few good features of the series 1 to 8 blu-ray collection is that on each of the individual blu-rays if you put them in a blu-ray drive um if you have one the original booklets are An there open booklet.htm oh, that's fantastic i didn't know that that's a really really cool they thing. don't even advertise they don't even say it mm. on the fucking disc or any or on the box or anything there's no reference to it someone somewhere has done a really nice little job there yeah and not told anyone <laughs> That's a real shame because that is a draw. Um, we we still we haven't talked about the Polaroid. Yeah, it's an Easter egg no. of the Polaroid. I mean, yeah, you could just say there's an Easter egg of the Polaroid, but <laughs> I think this is one of the one of the things at the time that was one of the most exciting things because this was unseen behind the scenes footage from series one, which is gold dust. Also, I just I love the fact that you can just hear the babies fucking crying in the background, like they just smacked them around the head, took the picture, and then like the mother's yeah. carrying them off, crying while while someone pins it to, and then the, the whole process of the the photo uh, developing, and it fucking it's it starts sliding off. It's the most infuriating shit. Yeah, mm. the thumb starts to twist and and so they must the, fix it's that. Thumb. They it's must Lister's fix thumb, that right? in the comp. Yeah, it must have. Given head by a fucking Nightmare. stomach yeah. ulcer or oh, something, God. it must have been so difficult to do that. It's not. It's almost not worth it at that point, right? And also, we were just talking in the last um, dwarf cast about how um, in the magazine comic strip of Future Echoes, they'd added uh, dreadlocks onto the babies, and uh, <laughs> they did it in, in the yeah, episode did, as well, yeah. <laughs> which, which I'd forgotten about <laughs> until I watched the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> but actually remember that even that section I think it's on the um I think it's on the series one documentary on the um the body snatcher that they do have mm. a bit more extra footage from that that oh, section yeah, as well yeah. where they've got Paul Jackson talking yeah. about the episode, talking to the audience. So that was done live in front of the audience. That was done, you know, that was yeah. yeah. Wasn't done as a pickup layer, it was just done that was done right in front of the audience. It's just thrilling hearing just little like voices in the background, just like you're yeah. just getting a little time capsule of like this yeah. is what it was like on set that day. Yeah, crazy, intoxicating, and this really is just—it's just like a little piece of what was to come. Yeah, this isn't even sort of the best version of itself. No, this was God, this no. was just this was just one of the versions of itself, and it only got better um, until Back to Earth. But it, it, but it, it, you know, it was. Um, hey, Back to Earth does an all right job. To be fair, Back to Earth does an all right job, but it definitely feels like a 
It feels like a, a, yeah, a bit it's of a, a start. But, that, but it's a different job. It's, it's a completely different yeah, remit. It, yeah, because yeah, because it was a different. Uh, oh yeah, because it was contemporary. It's a contemporary it release. Yeah, there's there's a, there's, a, there's a, a difference between archive release. Yeah, exactly. Welcome. Yeah, to that. well, yeah. in a few months. But yes. It's a thing, <laughs> and I'm I feel so privileged as a Red Dwarf fan to have something this um, definitive. Yeah. Yeah. And it really was like a formative time in I, I would argue all of our lives. Like we'll mm-hmm. get on with with series two. Series two is is connected to when me and Danny. F- oh no, you didn't. I always think that Danny was in London for the series two launch DVD. No, I was supposed and he to be. Never was. Um, I was <laughs> planning to, and then I missed the train and couldn't get there, so I didn't. Oh, that's hardly. It wasn't that interesting to be fair. So that was our rediscovery of series one. And we're gonna go through the fucking lot, yeah, mates. We're gonna we're gonna go through each and every DVD release. We are not going to uh, adhere to the twentieth anniversary of each one, otherwise that would take us. Uh, <laughs> it's too it's too 18, structured, isn't it? It's way years. too structured. We're, so we're just gonna do them as and when in amongst our other uh, dwarf casts. Whenever we we fancy a rediscovery, uh, then we will rediscover something. The next series. <laughs> But until then, if you uh, want to get in touch with us about anything, uh, you visit us and leave a comment over at www.ganymede.tv or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay cool, stay happy. Staley Bridge is home to the Gorse Hall Estate, a blue placket which celebrates the site of the original Gorse Hall which was built by Beatrix Potter's maternal grandparents, John and Jane Leach. The young Miss Potter often visited Gorsall with her mother, Helen Leach. And until next time... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. The young Miss Potter often visited Gorse Hall with her mother, Helen Leach. And until next time... Gorse. Gorse. It's a woody word, isn't it? Gorse. Gorse Hall on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> but I've just found a very strange sentence. I've never really noticed it before. On the back of the DVD, it does say, unauthorised copying, Harry Lending, blah, 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 all that shit. And then the last sentence is, your attention is drawn to the copyright warning at the beginning of the programme. <laughs> it just feels very well, sort of like a, You will. You will adhere. Extremely formal. It's very, yeah. Your attention is drawn.